Welcome to the Post-COVID Church Podcast with your host, Stuart Kellogg. Thank you for being part of the Post-COVID Church. Today we'll be seeing how the technological revolution forced upon the churches is also playing a part in training the pastors and lay leaders of tomorrow. My guest today, Dr. Matt Ayers, president of Wesley Biblical Seminary. He came in April of 2020 from Haiti where for the last eight years, he was president and dean of the School of Theology at Emmaus University. Dr. Ayers' undergraduate degree is from Asbury College in Kentucky, his master's from Wesley, and his PhD in Old Testament from St. John's College of Nottingham. He's written numerous articles and books, including Holy is a Four-Letter Word with Dr. Charles Lake. Matt and his wife, Stacy have four young children. Welcome, Matt, to the Post-COVID Church Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What led you to go to Haiti as a missionary and stay for 13 years? Um, I, I had a really unique experience um, hearing God's call to teach full time, uh, teach scripture, teach people training to be in ministry. And, and that was very apparent on my life. And I knew that that could really be anywhere, uh, not necessarily limited to, you know, locally. And then having met Stacy at Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky, she had a, a heavy call to serve as an international missionary. And so I thought, hey, I can, I can teach abroad. And so, uh, so together as a couple, we just really sensed that God was calling us to move to Haiti. And, and thankfully, he's a great and competent communicator and makes his will known to us. So really, it was just, it was just a calling. And now your call is uh, back to Jackson, Mississippi, where you're president of Wesley Biblical Seminary. When the pandemic shut down, uh, Wesley was uniquely positioned to keep serving, right, as far as technologically. Can you, can you walk us through about how things had been set up? Yeah, Wesley went through a change in its mode of delivering programs uh, back in like the 2000, early 2000s. So um, this is before other schools, other seminaries uh, were really doing what we call e-synchronous, which is um, virtually synchronous. Um, a lot of schools do asynchronous virtually, but we do e-synchronous. So um, students can take courses live virtually online with the professor um, instead of coming into the building, which students still can come to the building. And so uh, because of our unique situation in the Deep South and uh, we just the leadership at the time thought, hey, we can reach a whole lot more people by leveraging technology. And again, this was before a lot of universities were using this early 2000s. People were beginning to explore with this, but they were really ahead of the curve, the leadership team at the time at WBS. And so uh, since the early 2000s until, you know, 2020, they've just made tremendous uh, improvements and advancements and new strategies, new technologies, new kinds of cameras and microphones and camera angles and, and different uh, learning management systems for students learning online. And we had always just been ahead of the game. Um, and so when COVID hit, we had already had a program in place where students could take courses without ever stepping foot on campus, uh, but doing it, again, synchronously with professors in the classroom rather than just watching pre-recorded lessons and these sorts of things. Um, and so um, we already had very few students coming into the building. We had downsized our campus um, just to save on overhead. We could do more for less. And, uh, and thankfully, when... Um, you know, a lot of campuses were shutting down and buildings stopped being used across campuses and across the country. We were already there. We had already done this years ago. Um, and so we're grateful for um, having been ahead of the curve. Well, the old model was the college graduate went off for three years, got the uh, 
uh, more education and headed to a church. How is seminary education changing, not just Westlake, but, but overall in America? You know, it's interesting. Um, so most of our students are already in ministry as opposed to graduating from college in preparation for ministry, then going to seminary in preparation for ministry. Um, almost all of our students are in full-time ministry already. So we're serving a lot of adult second career folks as well, not just uh, folks fresh out of college looking to advance uh, in theological knowledge to, to lead a church or be missionaries. Um, and so that's one thing is that because of the flexibility of virtual learning, so many of our students are already fully engaged in ministry. This was my story. I was a student uh, almost fully online at Wesley Biblical while serving as a full-time missionary in Haiti. And that was only possible because of uh, technology. Um, but in addition to that, the other thing that's changing is that we're getting a lot of um, um, just uh, learned, read, passionate lay people who don't necessarily have a call to full-time ministry, but they just want to go deeper in their knowledge. And so they're signing up for seminary courses. Uh, I have, I'm teaching a Psalms course now, 56 students in the course, and about 50 of those are audit only, meaning they just want to learn the Psalms. They're not necessarily, they're not degree seeking. They're not seeking ordination, which is traditional. You know, traditionally folks are taking these courses to, for ordination credentialing. Um, but now it's just people who want to go deeper, which I think is tremendous. I think that's fantastic that the, the people in the pew know that they can log in and, and sign up and take courses taught by seminary professors. My guest today, Dr. Matt Ayers, president of Wesley Biblical Seminary. Along those lines, one of the things I've done on this project is, is post surveys about beliefs of especially evangelicals. And it's, it's, for example, one third in one recent survey are rejecting the divinity of Christ. I mean, so basic biblical tenets. How can seminaries such as yours help strengthen, uh, if you will, the, the belief of, in the pews of the laity? Yeah. Um, man, there's a lot of ways to attack that question, and uh, I will add to that statistic. Barna did a, no, excuse me, Christianity Today, in, in partnership with Legionnaire, I think it's pronounced Legionnaire Ministries, they did a 2017 or 18 study that 58% of evangelical Christians um, believe that the Holy Spirit's a force and not a person, which is kind of more of a Far Eastern Hindu sort of way of thinking about things. Um, so there's a crisis. There's a, there's a, what I call a naive heresy crisis. Now, in terms of how to respond to this, I, you know, seminaries, when, when doing what they're called to do, um, they're teaching consensual Christianity, orthodox Christianity, and they're going deeper. You know, people get their theological education usually through sermons at church, and they also get their theological education through, um, through books that they're reading, going in the, you know, the Christian living section of Barnes & Noble or on Amazon and picking up books here and there. That's how they're, they're growing, and that's how their thinking is being shaped theologically. And it's not that common that a pastor is going to be talking about orthodox Christology and the importance of the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ or the personhood of the Holy Spirit and, and asking lay people to, to you know, get these big volume tomes to read on systematic and biblical and historical theology. Um, things used to be that way in the church you know, centuries ago where more people were exposed to these sorts of things. And even with the Protestant Reformation, uh, where the focus uh, went to, to scripture over tradition, uh, people became more serious students of the Bible. And, and then with the age of technology and the data information age, there's more information available, more accessible than ever. So there's the, the information's out there. Um, but, you know, I think there's something to be said about um, seminary 
professors, trained credentials with, with terminal degrees who are teaching lay people. Um, the thing about this is as we come, you know, post-COVID, uh, post-COVID is the interesting thing about the timing of COVID is that we're also in the, the height of this culture war um, between, you know, the left and the right and one worldview against another worldview. And, um, and these questions that feed into this culture war and this worldview issue, they get at the very core um, tenets of what we believe as people. And your standard you know, sermon on, you know, five ways to fix a marriage or healthy finances or how to manage stress. Uh, those things are helpful and good. But when people are attacking our very core beliefs or when systems are coming into clash and say people attacking, but when one way of viewing and understanding the world is staring down the Christian way of viewing and understanding the world, we have to go deeper to understand what it is that through the centuries Christians have believed and why out of the scriptures. So I think there's more of a demand than ever now in the midst of a culture war uh, to be able to have the answers to these questions. Um, and also how to navigate this, this COVID situation has is, is, is created these contexts that are unprecedented. Well, how do we navigate these things? What's the nature of the relationship between government and church? What can the government say about us meeting together? Can they dictate this or that? Um, can I be fined for going to church? Is that should I be fine? And well, we, the first thing we do is turn back to the scriptures to say, what does Jesus tell us? What does our tradition tell us through the scriptures about these sorts of things, these questions that are at the heart of helping us navigate these issues? So G Paul says, consider it a blessing when you face adversity, when you face difficulty, because um, it helps us to go deeper. There's one reason why it is a blessing. So, and seminaries are there to help us to go deeper because you have people in the church who have already explored these questions uh, through their training. Well, is the problem, Dr. Ayers, that uh, the lady's too comfortable and so doesn't want or too lazy, or is it that the leaders um, aren't demanding enough or don't know enough themselves? Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, here's one thing that I've faced. It's one thing to deal with concrete activities and behaviors. It's another thing to deal in the world of ideas and abstract. And that's more work. It's hard to think through. I mean, I was having a teaching a lesson in, in the Psalms course about poetry and parallelism and form and meaning. And, and there we're getting into Aristotelian and Platonic metaphysics. I mean, this is tough stuff. It's hard to wrap our minds around, but this is the stuff that we oftentimes, we have to dive into this world of, of ideas and truth um, in order to really set our feet firmly on the ground to have how to navigate these situations. And that is hard work. And I do think that there is, it's hard because every culture is different, right? Is the church lazy? Is the church too comfortable? Every, every culture is different. Um, I would say overall, you know, I'm hesitant to criticize the church as the bride of Christ, but I think there is a comfort is one of the idols I think of America. And we like things to come easy and we're used to things coming easy. And um, we're used to things being, you know, made convenient for us. And sometimes, you know, sitting down and doing study and fasting and praying and the spiritual disciplines, that's not easy. It's uncomfortable and it's not convenient. And so the laity has to be taught about it. And if you will, challenged, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And I visited South Korea uh, last year, a couple of years ago. And South Koreans, man, they fast. They're a fasting people. Uh, most lay people have done a 30-day fast. I mean, try to find me a lay person today that's done a 30-day fast. 
uh, you know, but look at the change in their nation going from one of the poorest nations in the world within a 50 to 100 year period, becoming one of the leaders of industry in the, in the global economy. And I, I can't help but think that has to do with obviously a hard working culture, but also just a, a, a people who take their spiritual lives seriously. And, and this is the difficulty of our faith, right? There's a tension in Christianity on the one hand of, of grace, and we're not saved by our own merit. And when you come to salvation in Jesus, there's this aspect of rest and Sabbath, that we don't have to fight and battle and toil for our own salvation. It's not a works-based salvation system, which so many religions in the world are. But on the other hand, there is this call to be a disciple of Jesus. That word disciple is discipline. There's a call to do the spiritual disciplines. Jesus says, when you fast, not if. And when you pray, and uh, I find that the spiritual disciplines are often lost, especially in contemporary Protestant evangelicalism, because people are so afraid that they're going to get into works righteousness. Oh, no, not works. You know, thank you, Martin Luther. It's not works. It's not works. We're not Catholic. It's not works. Um, so to do those things is almost taboo. You know, oh, you're fasting. You're trying to earn your salvation. No, no, no. I'm fasting because Jesus tells me to fast and I want to go deeper. And I think we have to rediscover the spiritual disciplines to help us to go deeper. My guest is Dr. Matt Ayers, president of Wesley Biblical Seminary. What do you feel are the, um, let's say, two or three basic tenets of Christianity that are most misunderstood in the evangelical church in America today? Um, I would first go with forgotten more than misunderstood, certainly a part of it. But let me say forgotten too. Jesus says, take up your cross. If you're going to follow me, if you want to live, you got to lose your life. You know, um, Dr. Matt Friedman, faculty member here at Wesley Biblical Seminary, when he baptizes people in his church, they're standing in the water. And before he dunks them, he says, it's time to die. And, and we have to remember that that's what this life in Christ is. We've given up our rights to ourselves, our rights to privacy, our rights to, when I say privacy, I'm talking about, you know, the inward life of sin. You know, we don't have that right um, of doing things that are uncomfortable. It means taking up our cross and following him, which means discipline. It's not easy, um, but it's fulfilling. So that's one of the things I think because of the whole, we're not saved by our merit, that gets the emphasis. We, for, we have forgotten that there is this aspect um, of spiritual discipline in Christianity. The other thing I'd say that's greatly misunderstood oftentimes, I think is number one misunderstanding is people think that salvation is synonymous with justification. They think that to be saved means to have your sins forgiven. And forgiveness of sins is a part of salvation, but it's not the whole thing, right? So it's, 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 it's a means to a greater end. So we tend to forget or at least neglect or misunderstand the role of sanctification, the, the inward transformation. Um, and we forget glorification. Uh, we forget provenient grace. We forget repentance. All we think about is the forgiveness of sins. And, and that comes from our theological heritage of uh, beginning with Martin Luther and others that have followed in, main, in uh, mainland Europe. And, uh, and that's wrong. Salvation is not synonymous with justification, the forgiveness of sins. Salvation is, you know, there's different ways to look at it, but in a nutshell, forgiveness of sins, justification, sanctification, and glorification. It includes all of those. And, uh, and I think that the average Christian life, the, the main aspect is sanctification. That's where we live as Christians. And uh, so I think that's probably the, the, the most misunderstood aspect of, of Christian orthodoxy. So it's the idea, I've got my bus ticket to heaven, I can sit, live like I, I want, but uh, then everything will be okay. Yeah, that's right. 
fire insurance, hell, hell insurance, if you will. Dr. Harris, do you think there will be fewer churches, fewer Bible colleges, fewer seminaries, fewer evangelical Christians after all this pandemic? Absolutely, absolutely yes. Um, 13 churches, I, I heard this, you know, this is word of mouth. I didn't read it. It's not an official statement. A uh, pastor friend of mine in the state of New Jersey, 13 churches, United Methodist churches in New Jersey will be closing this year. I mean, that's on, usually it's one or two per year, 13 this year. So if, if United Methodism is any indication of Protestantism, um, and I'm assuming that's the focus, I don't know about Roman Catholicism. Um, so yeah, I would think so. I would think so. Uh, I, I would be shocked if that's not the case. I think that we're seeing a decline in attendance at Bible colleges. Um, seminaries are shifting and the, the jury's still out on seminaries. We're still kind of in the middle of, of navigating this thing. Um, seminaries with big endowments, they'll be fine. Uh, but the smaller schools like us, like WBS, um, thankfully we were ahead of the curve in, in planning for this. Um, but I think there will be seminaries that close. It's gonna be tough days. And a lot of it's the culture war. And, and then the post-COVID church, I think, is sort of the icing on the cake of the culture war, and the nail in the coffin for a lot of churches. Because Christianity that we've embraced, uh, that's been deficient, um, that we've been taught from the pulpits, and, and again, every region is different. It doesn't have the answers to the questions that a lot of the, a lot of the questions that are arising in this context. And so uh, people are going to look elsewhere if they can't find the ans their answers in church. While smaller, do you think um, it will be stronger? the church? I do. I do. I think that, um, you know, I think about the parable of the 10 virgins that Jesus taught. Um, he said, this is what my return is going to be like. There'll be 10 virgins and they're going to go out in the middle of the night and wait for the bridal party to leave, to come out and proceed to the, the ceremony. And, and half of them won't, will, will not have enough oil, you know, and they're going to go back. He says that the, the half of them asked the other half, lend us some of your oil. And they say, we can't, we have just enough to make it. They said, all right, we're going to go back home and get more oil. And when they leave, Jesus comes back. That's half the church, right? So I think that's congruent with scripture. I think it's consistent with what scripture teaches as we move along in history towards the end, that things will get harder, but the church will get stronger. And, uh, you know, there are other object lessons. In Haiti, we have palm trees. And uh, the more storms the tree has weathered, the stronger and taller it is. You know, so the really tall trees in Haiti are the ones uh, that have really been through a lot of storms. So growth that comes through persecution and adversity. I mean, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And that's a little bit of a different metaphor talking about growth more than growth as far as this way as opposed to this way. But yeah, I think we'll be stronger. I do. My guest, uh, Dr. Matt Ayers, president of Wesley Biblical Seminary. And finally, uh, the whole idea of the post-COVID church is to share ideas, things that are happening, uh, things that folks are doing that um, can be replicated. Can you share one or two extraordinary things you've seen churches do uh, to more effectively uh, make disciples during this pandemic? <sighs> wow. I can't, nothing right out of the gate one thing that, that does strike me, um, I, I'm not typically a jump on the John MacArthur bandwagon kind of a guy. As an as a academician, you know, John MacArthur kind of lives in that little space of, of, of the kind of research that he does. And, but I thought, I thought what he did was extraordinary. I'm out in California saying, we're having church because the government can't stop us. And um, now, granted, that was more of a move for um, 
the place of kingdom and politics, I think. It was more of a, of a political move and making a statement within the culture war context more than the church making disciples context. Uh, but it did get my attention. I've seen, I know of one other pastor that has just said, we're having church. And if, and if you don't want to come, don't come. And we love you. We're going to broadcast, watch from home. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask, but we're having church. Um, in terms of strategies for continuing to make disciples, um, I've heard of churches going into some home groups, but then even, even then in some regions, I've got some friends in town from Oregon. They say, um, I think right now, even in Oregon, you're not allowed to gather together in a home, um, that that's even an issue. So, which is crazy to me, the overreach of the government on that. But um, so nothing in particular says, wow, that was, that was great. And I, I think that that's telling. I think that that's telling the fact that nothing particularly stands out. Everyone's kind of doing the same thing. Let's broadcast our service and get it on Facebook. Let's broadcast our service, get on YouTube, get on our websites, do things in technology. Um, but in terms of making disciples, uh, I can't think of an, of an example. And I think a lot of that is explained by the fact of what I said earlier, that we think that salvation is the forgiveness of sins and discipleship and sanctification is oftentimes the forgotten party. So I don't know what churches are asking the question, how do we continue to make disciples? They're thinking about how do we get the sermon out? How do we collect on our tithe? How do we produce our music so that it sounds good online? Um, I could be wrong, right? I, I don't mean to be critical, uh, unnecessarily critical, but um, the question of how do we continue to make solid disciples? Um, I know that some churches are doing life groups through Zoom and, and this sort of thing. I don't know if that's effective or not. I, the, the feedback I've heard from people doing life groups on Zoom is that it's just not that not that great. Uh, but again, I have a small slice of data here. Maybe the, maybe that's the exception. Maybe the rule is it's wonderful. So I, I don't know. Um, so unfortunately, I, you know, I don't I don't have a really good thing I can point to to say, wow, that was extraordinary. And that's the challenge, isn't that to come it up is. with that and and uh, make that church stronger? That's right. Well, Thank you, uh, Dr. Matt Ayers, president of Wesley Biblical Seminary, joining us today. And I want to mention also, uh, thank you for your help in, in making the uh, post-COVID church website like it is. He's been a wonderful asset there. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm thankful, Stuart, for what you're doing. And, and, and this is a discipleship thing, helping us to think through and talk through and navigate these things. Um, yeah, we, we've got to have a place where we can go to, to have, have these conversations. So that's, I commend the post-COVID church. Thank you. Our mission, to help the church plan and serve the post-pandemic world. Thank you for listening to the Post-COVID Church Podcast. I'm Stuart Kellogg. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Post-COVID Church Podcast. You can find much more at the Post-COVID Church group on Facebook or on the website, thepostcovidchurch.com.